it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls and then the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tales from Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and today we're jumping into Chapter 19, Awakening. And I'm pretty confident that in the series so far, this is the first time we're getting a Matt point of view chapter. Um, we've had Matt in other chapters, of course, but it was never from his perspective. It was always from Rand's perspective when they were together or when the rest of the party was together, it was from somebody else's. So I'm pretty sure this is the first time, which makes it kind of fun considering Matt's my personal favorite character. But um, I guess the recap would be he basically just got healed through a crazy amount of the one power and he's pretty feeble at this point. <clears throat> but you may recall that he was speaking the one power or the one power. <laughs> wow. The old tongue. I'm so sorry. That was weird. Um, the old tongue during the healing process. Well, we get a little bit more of that, too, and a little bit of a history thing, and it's a really fun part, at least for me, because I love military stuff. Um, so, yeah, we'll jump into this. And chapter 19 starts out with Matt opening his eyes very slowly and, you know, getting a good view of the room he's in. I'm not going to go into all the details. There's a lot of detail on things. Uh, but basically, he's slowly remembering little itty-bitty details of essentially his past several months, well, probably close to almost a year by now, um, of basically everything going down because he's not particularly familiar with a lot of the things. He might think they're a dream or whatnot, mostly because his interaction with the dagger had caused him to not really be the one in control per se, like partially in control, I guess. But it muddied a lot of his memories and stuff. So he can't remember a whole lot of things. But he does remember Loyal, which is nice. Um, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. All these types of things. But they're all just fragments. And so he murmurs something in the old tongue. Which is, Muadrin ti dar elende kabadrin radin. And he says them... But to him, they're just sounds, but they spark something. And then I'm going to read this next part, because this is probably my favorite part about this chapter. <clears throat> the packed lines of spearmen stretched a mile or more to either side below him, dotted with the pennants and banners of towns and cities and minor houses. The river secured his flank on the left, and bogs and mires on the right. From the hillside, he watched the spearmen struggle against the mass of Trollocs trying to break through. Ten times the human's number. Spears pierced black Trolloc mail and spiked axes carved bloody gaps into the human ranks. Screams and bellows harried the air. The sun burned hot overhead in a cloudless sky, and shimmers of heat rose above the battle line. Arrows still rained down from the enemy, slaying Trollocs and human alike. He had called his archers back, but the Dreadlords did not care so as long as they broke his line. 
On the ridge behind him, the heart guard awaited his command. Horses stamping impatiently. Armor on men and horses alike shone silver in the sunlight. Neither men nor animals could stand the heat much longer. They must win here or die. He was known as a gambler. It was time to toss the dice. In a voice that carried over the tumult below, he gave the order as he swung up in his saddle. Footmen, prepare to press cavalry forward. His bannermen rode close beside him, the Red Eagle banner, flapping over his head, as the command was repeated up and down the line. Below, the spearmen suddenly moved, stepping, or sidestepping with good discipline, narrowing their formations, opening wide gaps beneath. The gaps into which the Trollocs poured, roaring bestial cries like a black oozing tide of death. He drew his sword, raised it high. Forward the heart guard! He dug his heels in, and his mount leaped down the slope. Behind him, hooves thundered in the charge. Forward! He was the first to strike into the Trollocs, his sword rising and falling, his bannerman close behind. For the honor of the Red Eagle! The heart guard pounded into the gaps between the spearmen, smashing the tide, hurling it back. The Red Eagle! Half-human faces snarled at him, oddly curved swords sought him, but he cut his way ever deeper. Win or die. Manetherin! Whew. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. <laughs> There's a lot of really good, well-described battles in this series. It's one of the main reasons I love this series. Like, there's there's a lot of things. There's romance. There's political intrigue. There's comedy. There's a whole bunch of things in it. But I love the battles. And as a kid, that was kind of my thing. So really got me hooked, line, and sinker into the series. And you don't really get a whole lot of it until, obviously, this book. I mean, even this is kind of low comparatively. But, yeah, I love it. So Matt's hand kind of, like, shakes as he puts it to his forehead. And he says, more in the, the old tongue. I almost said the old power again. <laughs> Something's wrong with me, y'all. And Los Valdar Quebiari. And he thinks he knows what it means. It means either forward the heart guard or the heart guard will advance. But he's not sure because Maureen had only told him a few words of the old tongue and that's basically all he knows. The rest is just a bunch of, as he calls it, magpie chatter. He's like, wow, it probably isn't even the old tongue at all, just gibberish. And I said, oh, it's crazy and it was only a dream. But then he remembers Aes Sedai, he remembers Moraine, um, he becomes aware of his too thin wrist and bony hand. He looks at them, he'd been a little sick, but had to do with a dagger. A dagger with a ruby in the hilt. And it had come from a long dead tainted city called Shadar Logoth. And it's a bit foggy distant. He, he doesn't really understand everything because he knows it's not a dream, but he's not, like, particularly high detailed on it. 
Um, he just remembers that Egwene and Nynaeve and company were taking him to Tarvalon to be or Tarvalon to be healed, and he remembers that much. But he tries to sit up, but falls back, kind of weak. Um, so he kind of just pulls himself back up, and he just doesn't care about clothes. He's like butt naked, and he totters across this flower carpet and clings to an armchair, um, and goes from chair to table. And we get more and more and more um, descriptions. I'm only going to really focus on the food so you can get an idea of what he was expecting versus what he got. But he gets this large tray um, and he smells food. So he twitches aside the cloth, revealing two large silver pitchers and dishes of thin green porcelain. It, he gets these expectations of beef tea or sweetbreads or... You know, the things that invalids get pushed on them. But instead, he has a plate that holds slices of beef roast piled thickly with brown mustard and horseradish. Personally, I'm not really that big into mustard or horseradish. But I can understand the appeal of that, considering you're basically almost dead. Um, and other types, he gets roasted potatoes, sweet beans with onions, cabbage and butter peas, pickles, a wedge of yellow cheese... Thick slices of crusty bread and the dish of butter. A pitcher that filled with milk and still beaded with condensation on the outside. The other one smells like spiced wine. And there's pretty much enough for, of everything for about four men. But first he decides, you know, like, I'm going to find out where I'm at. So he goes over to these wooden shutters and can see through the holes that it's night outside. But lights from the other windows made a lot of dots in the blackness. He sags against the white stone, and he's like, hmm. You turn the worst that comes to you, basically to your advantage, if only you think. That's what his father had told him. And Abel Cawthon was the best horse trader in the two rivers. When it seemed someone had taken advantage of his father, it always turned out that they had gotten, you know, the worst end of the stick. Not that Abel Cawthon ever did anything dishonest. But even... Tar and fairy folk never got the best of them. That's saying a lot, considering tar and fairy people cheat at like everything. But everyone knows how close to the bone they cut. All because he thought about things from every side that there was. And this adds to Matt's character, considering his role in the series and as he develops what happens. So you'll get there at some point. But he's like, it has to be Tarvalon, you know... This, this room belongs in a palace, and the flower demonic cart probably costs as much as a farm by itself. But he's assuming, because this is where he was being taken to be healed, this is where he's at. But then he's like, well, I feel whole and well. I've been healed. And then he thinks twice about being healed. He's like, oh... That means they use the one power on me. Oh, I don't like that. And he's like, well, it's better than dying. <laughs> he's like, well, you got a point. Um, he's like, well, it has to be better than dying. But even Nynaeve thought I was going to die. And, well, it's done. And worrying about it won't help anything now. I'm like, well, that's very mature of you, Matt. <laughs> but he realizes he's got to finish the slice of beef and licks the juice from his fingers and, you know, he kind of makes his way back to the table, and there's a stool, so he pulls it out and doesn't even bother with a knife or fork. He just rolls the beef, and he's like, wow, 
how to be Tarval in, in the White Tower? Like, how can I turn that into my advantage? I was like, well, to start with, you have a, enough food for four people. <laughs> and you're eating it. So that's a good start. Um, but he's like, well, Tarvalon means I to die. And that's a reason to not stay even another hour. But definitely the opposite. But he remembers his time with Moraine and later on with Varen. Not a whole lot to go with, but he doesn't really recall anything that he did to be, like, actually terrible. But he doesn't remember very much of it anyway, so he's like, well, whatever they did, they did it for their own reasons. But he also remembers, as he is eating a mouthful of potato, <laughs> that, you know, those aren't always the reasons you think they are. An Aes Sedai never lies, but the truth an Aes Sedai tells you isn't always the truth you think it is. He tells himself to remember that, and he's like, well, I can't be sure about them even when I think I know. And he doesn't feel, like, particularly happy or excited about it. Then he fills his mouth with butter peas, because, you know, just shove his pilot in there with a shovel. But he, by thinking about the Estai, he remembers a little bit about them. <clears throat> and here we get a little bit of a history lesson about Aesodai, which, again, we technically know, but it's a refresher because in each book, they do like a quick recap of things in certain topics that are going to be appearing more often, more frequently. So in this case, because he's in Tarvalon, and we're getting a lot of scenes in Tarvalon, it helps to get a reminder, since it's only the third book, here's here's a little bit about, you know, the Aes Sedai and the Seven Ajas. So in this case, blue, red, brown, green, yellow, white, and gray. But the reds are the worst, well, aside from the black Aja that they claim doesn't exist. But the Red Aja shouldn't be a threat to Matt, because they're only interested in men who can channel. So, Matt's like, well, it ain't me, so... Whew. But it does bring up thoughts of his one of his best friends, Rand. And he's like, oh, how did I forget that? And where is he? Is he alright? You know, what's going on? I wonder if he's gone mad yet. Because, you know, that's Matt's thing. But he doesn't really know if he knows the answers, but he can't really do anything to help Rand, so he thinks. And he's not sure if he would, if he even could. Rand could channel, and Matt had grown up with horrifying stories of men channeling that could frighten children, and that even frightened adults. I mean, some of them were very true. But finding out what Rand could do had been basically finding out that his best friend killed babies and tortured small animals. Which <laughs> is... Obviously, a little bit overkill, but okay. Um, it's like, once you make yourself believe it, it's kind of hard to call him a friend any longer. It's like, well, you did kind of charge into battle with him, so it's not too crazy. Then he kind of gets a little angry. He's like, I gotta look out for me, number one, myself. And he goes to put the spiced wine pitcher and pour it in, but he finds out it's empty, so he fills it up with milk. And he's like, well... I gotta remember who else wants to be Aes Sedai. That's Egwene and Nynaeve. He's like, Rand is following Moraine around and calling himself the Dragon Reborn. And I'd like to remind you, dear listener, uh, he's saying this out loud. <laughs> so anybody listening is like, hmm, really? Um, 
He's like, wow, who knows what Perrin's up to? Only the light, I guess. He's been crazy or acting crazy since his eyes turned funny, and I have to look out for myself. He's like, well, I have to. I'm the last one who's still sane. I was like, well, I haven't exactly been sane the last couple of months, but okay. Um, he's like, well, Tarvalon's supposed to be the wealthiest city in the world, center of trade between the borderlands and the south, and the center of Aes Sedai power. But I didn't think he could get an Aes Sedai to gamble with him, or trust the fall of the dice, or the turn of the cards if he did. There had to be merchants and others with silver and gold, and the city itself would be wor worth a few days at least hanging out. And he knew he had traveled far since leaving the two rivers, but aside from a few vague memories of Camelot and Kyrian, he doesn't really remember much about the great cities, and hey, he always wanted to see a great city, so why not? Stick around and check it out for a little bit. He's like, well, not one full of eyes to die, at least. And, you know, he finishes the last of the butter peas and goes in, goes in for the kill on the beef again. But he's thinking, you know, well, what if the Aes Sedai let him have the ruby from the Shadar Logoth dagger? He remembers the dagger only in the weirdest, fuzzy way, but all he could remember was a terrible injury, and his insides knotted up in the sharp pain dug at his temples, but the ruby's clear in his mind, and it was as big as his thumbnail, dark as a drop of blood, glittering like some crimson eye. Surely he had more claim to it than they did, and had to be worth, worth as much as a dozen farms back home. And he's like, well, they're probably going to say it's tainted, and, you know, it probably is. But he had this little fancy of trading the ruby to the Coplins for their best land, and that family of troublemakers from the Cradle, were they not thieves and liars, deserved whatever happened to them and more. Except for the fact of basically recreating Shadar Loka in your hometown. Not probably the smartest idea to go with. Um, he's like, well, he doesn't really, you know, believe the asset I would give it back to him. And he didn't really think of the idea of carrying it all the way back to Emmons Field a good idea or a pleasure, a pleasant one. But at some point, it had been his biggest ambition to own, you know, the largest farm on the two rivers, but also to be known as his father's equal and in, in horse flesh. But it seems like a small thing to want now. Just this little, little itty bitty cramped tiny thing when you have a whole world out there just waiting. So first he decides he's going to find Egwene and Nynaeve. And maybe they've come to their senses. Maybe they've given up on this foolishness about, you know, the Aes Sedai and becoming one. But he doesn't think they would. But, you know, he can't at least go without seeing them. So... He would definitely go, but a visit with them, a day to see the city, perhaps a game of dice to pat out his purse, and he'd be off somewhere when there are no eyes to die. At least before he headed home. And he's like, oh, I will definitely go home one day. It's like, oh, will you though? Um, but he means to see something of the world, so his great intention is to go home. But without any eyes to die, making him dance to their tune. So, I do find this kind of funny because it's like... I'll just do a game or two with dice to pat out my purse. Like he thinks he's going to win. I'm like, you're literally going to be playing somebody else's home turf, or at least more likely their home turf. And you don't even know how much money you have on you at the moment. And on top of that, how, would you, how do you know you're going to be even able to do anything that you think you're going to be able to like you could lose all your money and whatnot because it's gambling i mean gambling is literally the potentiality of losing everything 
but anyway. So he he looks around the tray and he's like, he pretty much ate everything but a couple smears and a few crumbs of bread and cheese. And the pitchers are both empty and he looks at his stomach and wonder. He's like, he could have been stuffed to the ears with all that, but he didn't feel like he ate very much at all. So he puts the little bit, last bit of cheese together between a thumb and a forefinger and halfway to his mouth and he realizes, I blew the horn of Valir. But then he whistles a bit of a tune and cuts short when the words come to him. Now, I'm going to attempt to sing this in the actual Robert Jordan-approved tune, so don't blame me. Um, <laughs> I, I am familiar with the tune. I'm not the greatest singer, so I do apologize in advance. I'm down at the bottom of the well. It's night and the rain is coming down. The sides are falling in and there's no rope to climb. I'm down at the bottom of the well. Now, you can actually listen to the actual whole song of that song on um, YouTube. I believe the group that did it is called Reflections of Sound. Um... You can just look at Wheel of Time music or something, and it should come up Reflections of Sound, or just Reflection of Sound, Wheel of Time. Um, and there's like a whole little track list, and they worked with Robert Jordan to make the tunes and stuff uh, as accurate as possible to the books, and seal of approval and whatnot. And I believe they're based out of Spain, but it's, it's a fun little song. So, yeah. Again, apologies for the not so great singing because I'm not a great singer, but I know the tune. Um, but he's like, wow, there better be a bloody rope to climb. So he lets the cheese crumbs fall in the tray and he kind of feels sick a little bit. And he's like, Ugh. tries to get through this little fog that shrouds everything in his head. Varen had been bringing the horn to Tarvalon, but he couldn't remember if knew if he was the if she knew he was the one who'd blown it. She had never said anything to make him think so, but he thinks he is sure about it. He's not sure, but he is sure, but he thinks he's sure. It's like, well, what if she does know? And what if they need? Well, they all do. Unless, you know, Varen did something with it, and I don't know. They have the horn. They don't need me. But who could say what the ice stack thought they needed? And he's like, well, hey, if somebody asks me, I've never touched it. If they know, well, I'll get to that when it comes. But burn me. They can't want anything from me. They can't. But then he hears a soft knock on the door, and it brings him swaying to his feet, ready to run. Well, at least if there had been anywhere to run. And if he had managed more than three steps, but that was not a thing he could do, and he couldn't do anything about it. But then the door opens. And the end of the chapter. <laughs> Talk about suspense. But yeah, it was this... I found it to be particularly fun and interesting um, of a chapter. And again, first POV of a a Matt chapter or even a, a Matt perspective, because it's always been Rand's perspective when they've been together or Perrin or somebody else. So um, the beginnings of Matt's great adventures, <laughs> many of them as they are. And uh, yeah, that's the end of chapter 19, Awakening. So, what did you guys think about it? Uh, was there anything particularly fun you liked about it? I mean, I like I said, I'm kind of biased towards the uh, 
the Manetheran battle against the Trollocs and the Dreadlords, but that's just because I'm partial to battles. <laughs> um, as I got older, I enjoyed more of the political intrigue of the series, and I enjoyed um, the interaction between characters, the character growth, and I, as always, love the mass amount of detail. Even though most people think it's a little too much detail, I still prefer it. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely enjoyed this one, so hopefully you guys did as well. I'd um, love to hear what you guys thought about it. It's it's a bit of a short one, mostly because it's not a whole lot of pages because they kind of jump around when there's 50 to 60. I don't know how many, how many chapters there actually are. 56, I think. 56 chapters in this one. We're only on chapter 19. There's going to be bound to be some longer ones and some shorter ones. And this was a little shorter one. So hopefully if you enjoyed it for as short as it was. And you guys will join me the next time for chapter 20. Um, it's going to be a little spicy, especially if you've figured out what's going on in the story. Um, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you do, but yeah, if you'd like to reach out to me and let me know what you thought, uh, feel free to reach out to me on, uh, Facebook at, or a Twitter at Tales of Red Arm or on Facebook, which is just Tales of Red Arm, um, or even just Tales of Red Arm at gmail.com which is direct message to me directly. That's what direct message means. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys and what your thoughts were, any type of interaction. It's always fun for me. And uh, yeah, so chapter 20 is coming up, and I hope you guys will all join me for that. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day And on the girls we'll spend our pay And when we're done then we'll away To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And snuggle the girls be they short or tall And follow young Matt wherever he goes To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the mags it could be worse And ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows yeah! 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 Yeah!